welcome back to the High People Podcast. Thanks so much for checking it out again. Checking out episode three of the High People Podcast, which is really, really exciting. If you haven't already, please give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at High People Podcast. And also subscribe and follow on wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it be Spotify or Apple Music. But thank you so much already for doing that and for listening in today. So today's guest is an awesome one. His name is Charlie Burke, who I've actually known for the last probably three to four years now. Um, Absolute sports fanatic, loves everything about sport, big rugby follower. I think I get all my rugby news from him, to be honest, looking at his Instagram feed. And he's got some awesome stories about where him and his lovely wife, Jess, have ended up in Blacktown. And in a time of need for me, he was there, uh, which I really, really appreciate. So I'm super keen to share with you his story. So let's get into it. This is the story of Charlie Burke. Today's guest, it is super exciting to have Charlie Burke on. And as I said in the intro, I've known Charlie for about three to four years and was a a big part of my life during unfortunate tragedy part of my life but you know we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about him so charlie welcome to the high people podcast mate thank you so much for for having a chat with us today wait it's awesome to be here mate i'm, I'm chuffed that you invite me along and i just love the concept of this that you just want to hear people's stories and i consider it an honor to just get a bit of time to share mine yeah absolutely and i think it was one of those stories that immediately popped to mind um for me and we'll we'll get into that um you know with your move um, to Blacktown and running Oak Oak Church and, and doing these things, which is really, really exciting. But I suppose for me, like you guys are in are in Blacktown um, at the moment. You're kind of in a bit of an epicenter of everything that's going on at the moment. So what's life currently like for you guys? You know, who, what's, what's your family look like? What does it all look like at the moment? Good man. Uh, I think I need to say up front that we were not that church that met the other night pre-recording of yeah. you know, <laughs> 60 yes. adults meeting in the heart of yeah. Blackout. I just need to set the record oh. straight before someone oh, else man. thinks that that may have been us. Um, but life's life's good, man. It's obviously weird. What are we, week 10 now of lockdown? Uh, I think for the first month, if I'm honest, we were kind of enjoying lockdown. Like there was an element of life was pretty fast paced. And so when lockdown hit, it was like a forced sea kind of pause moment. Um, mm. And we kind of got our life back a bit. Um, but then after the school holidays and, and homeschooling started, it all changed very quickly. Um, and so <laughs> with my wife and I, Jess, we've got uh, three kids, Liam, who turns seven in about two weeks, Hannah, who's recently turned five and, and Jed, who is our, who is our hooker of the family is, is two years of age. Um, and, and he, he punches first and asks questions later. And so, um, nice. yeah, like our lockdown, you know, don't want to, you know, overemphasize lockdown, but it's got great days, got in between days and it's got some shockers in there as well, where it feels like you'll just want to quit. So yeah, man, life, life for us is living in a suburb called Kings Langley. Uh, we planted a church in Blacktown. Uh, we first kind of, you know, and I know I'm using some God language here. We kind of uh, prayerfully felt led to this kind of thing about four years ago, but we've been meeting publicly as a church for coming up on three years in February. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's so good. And like, it's such an interesting story. And I look forward to delving into that, that process of how you, how you got there and what was the calling to the, to the area and the like. But I suppose to, to go all the way back, um, 
where were you born, mate? Were you born in born in Western Sydney, or have you been in Sydney all your life, or where were you born? Mate, I was actually born at the Royal Women's Hospital in, uh, I believe it's in Paddington or Randwick. Um, yep. I forget which suburb, but um, so my old man, he um, was a Sydney boy, uh, grew up in Wollstonecraft, uh, went to St. Joseph's College, Hunter Hill, Hunters Hill, um, and he kind of loved that lifestyle, but he was also born as the eldest son of of uh eight kids and so like he's one of eight um huge irish catholic family um you know some of the stories that you hear just about you know how on earth my paternal grandmother fed them all and just the the wildness of having eight kids and so he has a fascinating story i won't go into it too deeply but he kind of he 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 didn't flunk year 12 but he definitely didn't kind of get what he wanted to and his old man was actually a, a neurosurgeon. And I think to, to some degree, he always kind of had this um, expectation that he wanted to impress his old man and do what his old man did. So after not doing so well in year 12, he actually uh, went back to TAFE to do year 12 again, got the marks that he needed and went on to become a, a, a lung physician. Um, oh, he's, wow. just, he's just retired in the last year. But um, long story short is he, he got Jack of... Um, all the family expectations of living in a in a you know a city with eight other you know seven other siblings and parents and so when soon after he got married and they had me um, they actually moved us down to you know I was the oldest of three kids but um, we I grew up in Canberra for the rest of my life um, and so uh, yeah spent my childhood in Canberra one of those fascinating I really love Canberra it'll always be. Um, apart from obviously wherever my wife and kids are, it'll always be home. Uh, but it's probably also one of those places that I would never, ever move back to, you know, like it was just like <laughs> loved the childhood of living in Canberra. No worries, really enjoyed it. But yeah, I'd probably never move back unless, you know, there was a huge God opportunity or job came up or something like that. No, very good. Shout out to those Ken Barons, I suppose, that have been uh, in in the news <laughs> a lot lately. <laughs> what high school did you go to in Canberra, man? Yeah, so I um, went to a little um, uh, Catholic school to start off my schooling, but then um, uh, I kind of went along to one of those uh, wanky uh, all-boys private schools called Canberra Grammar School. <laughs> um, my wife and I still to this day have very robust arguments about where our kids are going to go to school. Um, cause she was a public school girl and loved, you know, so much of her public schooling and equally, I loved so much of my private schooling. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously I would have loved to be a lot closer to the, the female gender. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed my high schooling and, um, yeah, there's some probably stories we could tell about that as we go on today too. Yeah. Awesome. I suppose then, you know, in regards to that, you know, I know you love your rugby, you love your sport. Um, did you find that that was a, you know, a passion that sport just came about or is that a family thing? Is it ingrained in the, in the Burke family or is it something that you've taken on? Uh, is it ingrained in yeah. your, your siblings as well? Yeah, a bit of A and B. I'm probably, you know, and I doubt that my siblings would, you know, be, be uh, listening into um to the podcast today but i definitely say i'm the most sporty one in the whole family um but, but yeah sports sports always been a huge part of of our family um but also like when you go to a school like that camera grammar school like it, you know sports just everything you know um but mm. 
my old man, he he he's always been a, a huge sport fan. He's the type of bloke who, when the Olympics comes around like it did recently, he just takes three weeks off. You know, just he takes three weeks off work and just sets himself up. Um, that and you know, on a on a Saturday afternoon growing up, you know, um, he he'd always just find a spot on the couch and watch every possible NRL and rugby union game that was on. And so I definitely took on a lot of those traits. Um, I've really tried with league in years gone by, but I just can't do it. Um, it's I think I've you know don't get me wrong, I watch it when the finals come around, but union is my game. If I had to watch and support one sport for the rest of my life, it'd be rugby union, which I know there must be about seven of us in Australia at the moment. Um, <laughs> say, you are the biggest rugby union fan that I know on my Facebook feed and, and Instagram. I think I I keep up with the scores of the Waratahs through Charlie Burke's Instagram. Uh, so that's yeah, well, the way I that's the way I keep up with it. But the thing about anyone who grows up in Canberra is you're raised to despise the Waratahs. So anyone yeah. that can eat crap on the Waratahs is probably the way that you... That's how I know how they're going because you just heap it on them being a Brumbies fan. So it's uh, it's really it's, it's hilarious to see. But, but as well, like obviously in a vein that you're passionate about, mate, cricket was a huge part of growing up too. So mm. my old man and I, we had a really cool tradition where pretty much from the age of about 10, we'd always go and do the new year's test together not the full five days just a day but we've always even to you know i'm 32 this year we've always had a tradition of trying to get a day at the test together and so you know i can remember when i was 10 and 11 fortunately enough my old man being an scg member we were able to get down there right next photos with you know steve war and glenn mcgrath and just yeah very fond memories of those kind of things too so well, I suppose that's a pretty good, pretty good segue in that sense. Like, is is there a sports person or um, let's stick with sport, and then we'll, we'll go to the other element of your life. But is there someone that you've sort of idolised um, over time, if in rugby or, or sport, that you've either tried to emulate your game to, or you've just gone, you know what, as a person, I really like um, how they go about their life. Yeah, there's probably been some interesting ones in there. I think probably because it's been, you know, close to 20 years since the Wallabies have actually won the Blooders Lake Cup. So anyone in our childhood <laughs> is pretty up there because we were actually winning. Yeah. <laughs> so someone like John Eels, I've always thought, is just an impeccable leader. Um, the type of guy who would step up and take a conversion when it's, you know, sirens gone, he needs to hit the kick to win the match. I That's... remember watching that with my old man. I think yeah. I, I can't remember. I was under ten years old, I think, but I remember watching that with my dad. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah, spine tingling stuff. So he's pretty incredible. Other other athletes that I've always really looked up to, and for a bit of context, like I um I still trudge around the footy field now in the in the thirsty thirds for Hills Rugby Union Club, and so Beautiful. um a couple of years ago when my my firstborn son um started playing minis rugby. Uh, I'd hung up the boots before we had kids, but I thought to myself, man, I've still got it. I could still get out there. I could still have a run around. And so, uh, yeah, two years ago, I went back to playing some low-grade footy just for suburban rugby. Um, but I've always uh, really looked up to being an open-side flanker. I've always kind of idolised those impeccable open-side flankers in the world game. Hmm. So as much as I'd hate to admit it, you're, you're Richie McCaws, um, you're, you're David Pocock's yeah. just... He's a specimen of a man, you know. If, yeah. if anyone could have a rig like that bloke, you'd be stoked. Um, yeah, absolutely. Guys like George Smith, I think he was the first open side flanker mm. that really changed the game. Um, so that those kind of guys that would get over the ball and grapple it, and you know, yeah, that, that defining moments of my uh, rugby watching career. 
yeah, I suppose with them, they just always, you know, to get to the ruck. You know, it's one of those things that you just say all the time, like, you know, get to the ruck, get to the ruck. I feel like they're always the first first one there, so it doesn't surprise yeah. me that there's and they're, a, and they're the you know, definition an aspiration. Of- yeah, that's right. And they're the definition of game changers. Like I know we use that that hmm. phrase a lot, but if you've got someone like that in any sporting team, that quite literally is a game changer. You know what I mean? So yeah. Uh, well, I, I agree with you, Richie McCall one. But yeah. Other than um, he never entered through the gate. But other than that, yeah, that was yeah. constantly <laughs> offside. Ter- it's constantly offside. Never entered through the gate and terrorized Australia for his whole career. <laughs> I suppose if we if we move on out of sport, so. Um, you mentioned before you're married to your lovely wife, Jess. Um, was she a Canberran as well? Did you did you meet her in Canberra or what brought you um, into yeah. meeting her? So funnily enough, um, she grew up in Canberra, but we never met when we were in Canberra. Yeah, so, right. There you go. She is a, a pastor's kid. Her old man was the pastor of the, uh, the Baptist Church in South Canberra. Um, so she grew up on the south side. I kind of grew up. We have this argument all the time. Still technically on the south side, but not as far south as she was. Um, and so we never crossed paths in our growing up in Canberra. And I'm sure we'll get to a little bit of this later, but faith wasn't a big part of my life growing up at all. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned that my old man was part of a large Irish Catholic family. For me, um, faith or spirituality or church was something that I was forced to endure twice a year, Easter and Christmas. Um, got dragged along to mass, had to do the duty ticket off because that's what, what mum and dad did. Um, I always thought that that kind of stuff was weird, going to a big archaic building and a guy wearing a dress up the front, like that kind of stuff always. Hmm. If anything, it compu- confused me about faith and institutionalised religion. So we never met in Canberra, but then uh, later on in my kind of teenage years, when I would have been about 16 or 17, I had what I'd describe as a conversion experience where over the course of a couple of months, um, some of this stuff started to become a lot realer to me. I got to a point where I went, yeah, I think I want to put all my eggs in this basket and actually believe some of the stuff that I'd heard about. And and that happened through going along to an outdoor education camp, just as part of my schooling. We were told before Mm. we went to this camp, hey, it's a Christian campsite. they're not going to force you to do anything or anything like that. But just so you know, they might say grace before meals and share a little bit. And I just remember for the first time in my life, you know, with this upbringing, you know, being forced to go along to this church stuff and it not making any sense to me. But as I met people who seemed to be really living for something greater than themselves, and it just really intrigued me. I I can remember just being like, I'm confused by these people. And, and that kind of set off a chain of events where I really spent some meaningful time over the course of a couple of months going, I want to look into this. And it's pretty rare in life that we actually take a step back and go, why do I believe what I believe? Um, have I just kind of adopted a whole bunch of stuff due to family of origin or uh, growing up, all that kind of stuff. So that just set off a bit of a chain of events for me. And and like I said, I got to a point where I was like, yeah, I want to put my eggs in this basket. And more than that, I, I was actually doing a whole bunch of voluntary work at that time with that same campsite. Um, they used to do a whole bunch of work with foster kids. And there was just something about that level of work with these kids who had experienced stuff that I'd never heard of growing up in my private school bubble, you know, like just, yeah. you know, things that shocked me and just went, man, I'm so fortunate. Like, you know, the, the, the childhood that I had, um, you know, I never wanted for anything. And so there was something about both my spirituality that had emerged, 
but then also um, seeing and experiencing some of the things that I was in my volunteering that pretty soon after that, I kind of decided if I can do this for the rest of my life as, as a job, I would love to do that. So that kind of was my gateway into Christian ministry and trying to help people. Yeah, that's awesome. I suppose, was there one thing um, in a sense, you, know, you said you, you searched for months and you, you found that. And I think, um, you know, as a Christian myself, you know, I think there was always that one element of, you know, you know the love that, that God does show for us. But was there one thing for you that you went like, yeah, this is this is legit? Like, it, it, in a sense, locked you into the idea of a, a Christian faith? Yeah, I think it was probably almost like I alluded to before. It was it was the transformed lives that I witnessed, I think. Like, there was, mm. there was definitely yeah. two people of which I have very loose contact with now. Like I'm sure I could still give them a call, but they they were just people that I really looked up to and they invested in me and they showed a level of care in, and investment in me. Um, I can remember you know, in high school, I was probably that kid that, you know, I, had, I, I felt like I had heaps of mates, but no friends, you know, like mm. heaps of people that I could do service level, take the piss out of each other, you know, we got on pleasantly enough, but not many people that I felt like I could actually be honest with and, and have a, a deeper friendship with. And I, I'd probably say that's almost a, dare I say, a symptom of my life. You know, I feel like that's that's still something I wrestle with now. Um, mm. But I can remember when I met these two people who, who were, yeah, they wore their faith on their sleeves. They definitely weren't Bible bashes or anything like that, but they showed a, a degree of intentionality about their care of me and more than just what I could do or anything like that. And yeah, that was really meaningful. Like I felt a genuine sense of belonging. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. It's such an awesome story. And like the way I hear that is it's, um, it wasn't that hard either. You know, someone just cared for you, uh, just showed totally. you, showed you love. And I think if a lot of people adopted that mentality, Christian, non-Christian, um, yeah. or just a general life person, I think, mm. um, this world would be, would be better off. And you know, I'm, totally. I'm loving what we're, we're hearing with this story as well. So good, Clayton. And that's kind of been a little bit um, on my mind, even while we've been in lockdown at the moment. Like, I think what this has kind of shown us is that really people sometimes just want to be asked how they're really doing. Like, I think we've shown ourselves to be a pretty fickle people in, in lockdown. And, and it's amazing how many people just go by in life not having someone genuinely asking how they are. Um, mm. And, you know, I don't know if that's because you know, life has made us all busy or we're inherently selfish, but very few people just go beyond their own little worlds to actually check in on someone else. And so I think if you do that, like you're, you're an instant hero because you're, you're potentially being a really safe and trusted person to someone else. Yeah, no, hundred percent agree. I couldn't. And I think, you know, something else which I've been thinking about lately as well, it's like you can actually ask someone how they are without having to have a solution for their problem because they don't need a solution sometimes. Um, they just need someone to ask, you know, what's going on, you know, because yeah, right. that that's just in a sense, you know, a, a conversation starter and, and something that I think is really key. And um, yeah, it's something that I've definitely been thinking about um, as well. And it's so cool. And I love, you know, seeing this progression. So we see a progression, we see these campsites, we see a, a faith start to emerge. You know, you're obviously getting, you know, a little bit older now into the 18, 19s, 20s. What was, what was the next step for you? And I suppose where did, in a sense, Jess come into this story is yeah. what I'd like to hear as well. And where, where, where did it end up, I suppose, nearly to where you were five years ago and then we'll go from there. Yeah, it's good, man. 
Yeah, I, I forgot that your, your initial question is how did we meet? So I kind of went down. Mate, rabbit this is hole. the high the high people <laughs> podcast goes wherever it wants to, mate. So we just record and we just chat, and then good. I'll just casually ask a question. <laughs> so, like I said, like pretty soon, yeah. You know, after I realised I wanted to do this for for a career path, um, I, I jumped into Bible college, and so I was part of a small local church where still some of my best mates I made through that. Um, so, you know, three of those guys were, um, were my groomsmen. Uh, it's a crazy kind of, we still have an ongoing WhatsApp chat where one of them is in Sweden. One spent a lot of time in Africa. Another one uh, is in London at the moment. We're all spread over the world, but I can't wait for the day where we're, you know, by some miracle back together. And we've now all got wives and, you know, most of us have got kids too. So, but um, yeah, so I, I made this awesome pack of mates through this group and I started studying college the bible college that i was with was actually distance bible college so being in canberra but having to go up to sydney every so often and it was actually through one of those events it was kind of a, a youth pastors youth ministry event that i rocked up to that thing um and and uh jess's old man i mentioned it was a pk and he was one of the guys who was speaking at this event and jess had tagged along with him hmm. and so i was i was only um I think I was 19 at that stage. And so she was in her last year of high school because she's two years younger than me. Um, and and I'd kind of known her old man before through different kind of connections and just said, hey, do you want to grab lunch during the break? And he and he made the joke. And I and I used this line at our um, at our wedding reception. Um, oh, I'm busy, but you can take my daughter out for lunch just as a throwaway line. And it's probably Perfect. his most regretful. Yeah, re- most regretted <laughs> statement he's ever made, I reckon. <laughs> Because we didn't grab lunch, but we did kind of, um, it did uh, kindle a, a conversation. Um, we kind of just, yeah, a bit of flirting at that event. Um, and, and we'll forever argue about this, but she kind of made the first move. So on Facebook, which was like pretty new at the time, she just hit me up and we just started chatting, hey. um, asking lots of questions. She was in Sydney, so I haven't said that yet at the time, so... Grew up, she grew up in Canberra, but moved up to Sydney for a, a job that her old man took. Um, and so we were three hours apart. And then after, a, you know, maybe a week or two of Facebook messaging, she said, oh, I'm coming down to Canberra next weekend. She says, um, you know, in light of that, she wasn't actually coming down for any reason. So her, she, she, she did come to visit friends and stuff down there, but the sole reason that she came to Canberra was really for her and I to connect. Um, and so we kind of had like, she'd say it wasn't our first date. Really, it was our first time hanging out. We probably had our first date after that. But we just spent the day together in Canberra because um, she grew up there. She she took me to all the places that she grew up in, run amok in. Uh, and with my beloved Brumbies playing that evening, that we went to, to a Brumbies match that evening as well. And she says, and this is why I thank the Brumbies so much, it was one of those nail-biting games and we beat the Canterbury Crusaders at home. Uh, and for anyone who knows rugby, beating the Crusaders home or away is is a miracle. Yeah. It was one of those moments where the, the, the kicker needed to hit the conversion from the sideline to win it. And she says in that moment, she almost whispered in her head, if, if, if he gets the kick, I'm going to know it's right. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely wasn't hanging the relationship on that but it was just kind of a, a funny start to our relationship do you remember who was kicking it and who should we uh personally thank for I, probably I th- your life yeah getting that's on the trajectory right. that it did with jess i think it was sterling mortlock but i couldn't guarantee oh it. safe as houses it was sterling <laughs> mortlock 
I was gonna ask. That's a. I was gonna ask who made the first move, but it sounds like obviously Jess's dad made the first move. Yeah, I think, that's I the, think uh, he he offered her up, and I and I took it off the plate. You know, like <laughs> yeah, will, willfully accepted the opportunity yeah, to be to be let in. Man, that's totally. like one of the best wingman so wingman wing father stories yeah, I've ever heard. Right. So we did um <laughs> we did the long distance thing uh, for about the first probably the first six months of our relationship. Uh, lots of phone calls, lots of, you know, I'd, I'd drive up, I'd catch the trainer, I'd do all sorts of stuff. She was living um, in Menangle. So Menangle is about 15 minutes from Camden near Campbelltown. So it was a little bit further down the highway. But um, yeah, the, the, the long distance thing was a bit taxing. And so after about six months of doing that, and, and there was some more backstory to it, but I won't go into it now. The church that I was going to and doing my Bible college through, just was going through some challenges and so therefore there was a bit of an opportunity that came up for me to move to a a, a job at a church in albion park which is uh for people who don't know where that is that's about 20 minutes south of wollongong and it was funny like uh, that was kind of my first real ministry job um and you know hearing about albion park i think at that time it was voted the the number one most bogan town in new south wales um <laughs> throwing some love out to those in Albion Park but um, it, it also was known for you know you got the Dapto dogs just down the road yeah um, I think there's a huge Ugg boot warehouse there so all the things you want to be known for there is now a Taco Bell there because when I drove past it to go to Colborough there is now a Taco Bell at Albion Park unbelievable what a what an, what an amazing feat for the town of Albion Park center of culture mate yeah absolutely <laughs> So yeah, like where she was living and where I was living was all of a sudden a lot closer. So we were now half an hour away rather than two hours away. Mm. Um, and so that made life a lot easier as we entered that part of our lives together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the, the beautiful part is then you moved, um, you know, you obviously went from Albion Park and then moved into Sydney. At what point did you, I suppose, propose, pop the question, you know, because yeah. that obviously has happened, uh, considering where you are now. <laughs> so yeah, where, yeah. where did that all all come through? And I suppose the other interesting part for me is what um, what was the element of confirmation? I suppose did you have a confirmation? Were you like, "Yep, Jess is the one"? Like, what was the what was that that process for you like going through that? And particularly as a relatively young guy as well. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know we uh, we um, got engaged. We got married when I was twenty one. Like we were real young. You know, I, mm. I definitely wouldn't recommend it, but it was the best thing I've ever done. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, heaps of heaps of lessons along the way, uh, lots of stuff ups, lots of great stuff. But yeah, so after being in Albion Park for a couple of years, I popped the question uh, the day after my 21st birthday party, actually. Um, and uh, for me, I think the confirmation would have been, I, I always remember um, Jess's... Uh, um, grandfather who is has you know now passed away but um, he and his wife were married for, for 59 years and the thing that I always the, the, the bit of wisdom I always remember, remember him saying and giving was um, always look for someone where your where your values align um, mm-hmm. and someone that you genuinely can see yourself being best friends with for the rest of your life 
because uh, you know he jokingly said, you know, when you're my age, it's 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 pretty tough to to always be having fun in the bedroom. But at least if you've married the <laughs> the, the the person that you genuinely love and can see yourself spending the rest of your life with, you know, it's it's far less about that and far more about um, the values that bring you together. Uh, and that was a really significant piece for me. Like Jess brings so much that's um, you know, better out of me, you know, in terms of her fun loving approach to life. She's far more go with the flow. I'm much more of a planner. She's far more spontaneous. Like we really balance each other really well in that. And so, yeah, I, I can remember that being a really defining piece of advice that I heard. And, uh, and yeah, like, like I said, we've, we've had it, we've been married for coming up on 11 years now, which is just crazy to think about. It feels like yesterday, but but yeah, like that, that process was a really exciting one. And so we jumped, I think we've, we worked it out the other day. I think we, we've lived in about 13 homes since we've been married, wow. which is crazy. You know, heaps of different rentals, bought our first house in 2016. We since sold that, bought another one. And, you know, so 13 homes that we've been in. Um, and so from Wollongong, we were initially uh, living at a place called Croydon Park near Strathfield for a couple of years. And that was... That was really just for us to save up our pennies. We went and did an awesome like two months around the world holiday before we had kids, which was unreal. I just, you know, it broke the bank, but there's there's nothing better to do like with, you know, before you have kids, before you go into that stage of your life where you settle down. We had an absolute ball just going around the world for two months. Um, and then pretty much when we got back from that holiday is when we really settled into Western Sydney, initially at one job that was in Pendle Hill. And I'm sure we'll get to the stuff around Blacktown soon, but that was kind of like the gateway to Blacktown. Hmm, nice. And then from from that, I suppose that's a, the perfect segue into, um, you know, you're in you're in Blacktown now. You're living in Kings Langley, but you you know the church that you work at is in Blacktown. Um, you know, I've I've heard the story, uh, and I, I love this story. But where where did um, the formation of the church come from, and and what was the timelines, and and how did you um, how did you land on Blacktown? Yeah. You know, what, what was the, what was the specific call, um, to this place? It's good, man. So, so like I said, we were at a, at another church in Western Sydney prior to planting Oak City Church. Um, and as we were wrapping up that, um, season of life, which was a, like, it was a, a really good one, but towards the end, it was pretty tough. Uh, and we were really wrestling with what's next. Like what, what's, what are we going to do next? Um, you know, that we, we kind of explored a whole bunch of different options. And again, I know I'm using a bit of God language here, but we were praying, God, where do you want us to go? We, mm. We'd explored options in the eastern suburbs. We'd explored options in different parts of New South Wales. And, and really our heart wasn't to go and start something. You know, I know there's that kind of like almost millennial, we can do it better than the boomer sentiment. Mm. And that was not what we were trying to do at all. Uh, but as we, you know, prayed about it, as we talked to some people that we trusted, a couple of different people suggested, oh, why don't you think about planting a church? And and our immediate response was like, heck no, not interested, not on my to-do list. Um, it yeah. was not something that either of us had ever endeavored to set out to do. Jess being a pastor's kid, her, her old man had planted a church, knew the cost of it, knew the weight of it. And for me, I just went, nah, man, too hard, too complicated, not really up for it. Um, but as we kind of start, you know, at, at, uh, uh, you know, someone suggested to us at the very least, we should pray about it. Um, and mm. so we started to do that. Um, and, uh, uh, we had someone say, oh, you could go and, 
um, use this, you know, this old church that was dying, go and meet with them, see if you could start something in there. That wasn't going to work out. And I remember like one night as we'd kind of given it, you know, two or three months to kind of just think and pray about it. We had a cup of tea one night, um, late in the, late in the evening, bigger pardon. And it was like we almost just caught eyes with one another and we're like, oh, crap. God's, God's you know, prompting <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I remember reading once that C.S. Lewis was like the um, the least compliant Christian in all of the UK. Like he was not, he didn't want to become a Christian, but he was just so yeah. compelled and convinced of what he saw to be the truth. And that was kind of almost a little bit like our journey that we did not want to do this. You know, it was like I had stressed enough, I think, was not on our to-do list, but it was kind of that real convergence of, you know, our, our spirituality going, nah, this is actually something that God's leading us to. And and for a really important part of that was not just one of Jess and I being passionate about it, but actually doing it together. And so that was a huge part too. Like we both said to each other, if you're not in for it, I'm not in for it, you know? Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's then from, you know, that, that I suppose in a sense, awakening or, or direction that you both received there. What was the What was the next steps? You know, did you just find a building and start preaching from the pulpit after one week or, you know, what was the, I suppose the process um, around yeah. you setting up the church and, and, and going through that process together? Yeah, it's cool, man. Like um, at that point, obviously I'd wrapped up at this other church. So I was still looking for a way to, to pay the mortgage and feed the kids. And so uh, for a while there, I was working for an organization called Alpha, um, which was a fantastic experience, but pretty much after we kind of set in our heart, that this was potentially becoming a thing we'd approach the denomination that we were a part of. And we're like, Hey, we feel like this might be a thing. And they provide, tried to provide a level of support to that. Um, and pretty much what happened, I remember it was like just before Christmas 2017, I think it was like the week before Christmas, you know, we'd kind of finished up at the previous church, had a bit of a break, switched off a bit, um, kind of just had a bit of a rest full season, but we got to that point where we we're like, all right, it's time to start thinking about this. And our real approach to it was not, hey, let's just invite everyone. And that's not to say that, you know, faith's not for everyone and stuff like that. Hmm. But it was like, it, it's almost like um, one of the analogies that came to me at the time, it was almost like when you have a newborn kid, you need to make sure that everyone's healthy, that everyone's, uh, you know, if they've got their whooping cough vaccinations, whatever it might be. And it was like hmm. in this really early stages, we just wanted to be really intentional about who would come around this baby. Um, and so after a bit of prayer, we invited like 12, maybe 15 people just to consider being part of this thing. Uh, we invited them around to our living room. We, we told them a bit of the story. We said, uh, here's what we are feeling, but we want you to go away and, and think and pray about it because we never wanted to be, um, you know, people who had to try and coerce people to be involved. That was never mm -hmm. our intention. I think mm -hmm. we've probably all been on the receiving end of a bit of manipulation in our lives. And that was not our intent in it. So we just said, we don't want an answer from you now. Go away and think about it and pray about it. Come back to us in a month. And after a, you know, a, a while later, um, uh, yeah, almost all of those people came back and they're like, yeah, we're in, um, which was really, really exciting. And, and then for the next nine months, we just met as a group of about 15 adults in our living room in Seven Hills, uh, just talking about what could be, just trying to get our head around what God might be up to, what it would look like to set up a church in somewhere like Blacktown. Blacktown's kind of always been considered the arse end of Sydney, you know, like 
Mm. Uh, it's, it's almost that question, why would you want to live in Blacktown? Um, there's that passage in the Gospels where people ask, you know, what good comes from Nazareth? We kind of felt like there was some parallels there in terms of even what it meant to be someone that was like Jesus, yeah. you know? Mm. Um, and so, um, and it's also got a really dark spiritual history as well, you know, like you, you consider mm. uh, some of the racial segregation that's happened in Blacktown. It literally was called Blacktown because it was Black's town. You know, that's where a lot of the indigenous population was shafted off to. It was it was kind of like that idea of let's get rid of all of our problems by shifting it out west. Um, mm. And so as we started to wrestle with a whole bunch of that stuff, we just went, these were some of the things that we felt like were where we could play our part in bringing about God's rule and reign in Blacktown. Um, we had a couple of crazy stories of um, even getting the name Oak City Church. Like some people have asked, like, yeah. what's that about? You know, like, um, give me some explanation around that. Uh, that came from a couple of different places. That came from, you know, there's obviously a couple of beautiful verses in the Bible around being oak trees, which is like being people of strength, you know, that can be trusted. Mm. Uh, there's other, you know, passages that are like, uh, trees that um, bear fruit in and out of season. But one of the most defining moments for us came from uh, we had one of our um, our team, those initial 15 people go on a European holiday, which just, this is obviously pre-COVID, which just sounds like amazing now that we can't travel anywhere. But, um, <laughs> yeah. she, she went and did like, I think a month or two in uh, in the UK and Ireland and went on, um, went on one of those uh, Irish bus tours where they just take them around and, uh, she went to this town um, called Kildare um, and she she um, messaged back to our group of 15 and I was like, oh, guys, I've, I've just been to this amazing Irish town called Kildare and and it, it, they were telling us that Kildare means Church of the Oak Tree. And, and I was like, oh, that's really nice. That gives you all the tickles. But then it dawned on me, um, I was like, Kildare, where have I heard that name before? And, it only, and, and keep in mind that we'd already named the church Oak City Church at this point in time. But then it dawned on me that the main street right in the heart of Blacktown was Kildare Road. And so we had called ourselves Oak City Church without realizing that the main street in Blacktown literally meant Church of the Oak Tree. And that was one of those um, hairs on the back of my neck on end moments where I went, oh, crap, I, I just haven't been going crazy for the last nine months you know like yeah. felt like there was something in it there was something about just the serendipity of it all and uh that was a real confirmation moment too that's awesome and i think i remember i chatted with you the day after that text message came in and i remember you know you telling me that story and you know, it was you know no matter what you believe whether you have a, a spiritual faith or whether you just see that that's you know a massive coincidence yeah. um of you know things aligning together so whatever you affiliate yourself with um, it's such a confirmation and I think, um, you know, definitely that's what you're aspiring to be. The one thing um, that I'd like to, to get into now as we sort of, in a sense, wrap up, it's like, where, where is your church, you know, located in the sense of the community? Like, what, what do you call home? And I suppose what's your, other than bringing glory to the people of Blacktown and bringing Jesus to the people of Blacktown, what's, what's the aim and the intention um, of Oak City? It's good, man. Um... Yeah, so where we're physically located at the moment, apart from at home, because we're all in lockdown. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah pre-COVID location. <laughs> uh, we, we uh, for the last couple of years, we've been meeting at the PCYC, which is a cool story as well. Like, uh, 
one of the things that we always set out to be as a people, and, and again, I don't want this to be too bunkered in churchy language, but uh, we always wanted to be super generous people. I just think one of the most impressive traits about anyone, whether you've got a faith or not, is your generosity. And I think that catches people's attention. And so we wanted to be really generous. And so in our kind of starting this thing in Blacktown, we just reached out to a whole bunch of the combined services in the area and went along to one of their meetings and, and we got the opportunity just to provide the morning tea. That was kind of like our little, hmm. uh, you know, um, activity. Uh, and we just decided that we, or rather my wife decided, cause she's the, the real brains of the operation that, that we were just going to be super generous. Like we're not talking like the old bickies from Woolies. We're talking like we're going to bring out the best grub and we just went over and above and, and that single act brought about so many conversations with different people. And, mm. and what then ended up happening with the guys at PCYC, who are a lot of awesome Polynesians that we, we talk a lot of footy with and just love hanging out with. But they, they were so impressed by that action and that kind of level of generosity that we just hit off this awesome relationship. And then after a while, they just said, you know, we, we were doing some stuff for them. I've been driving the bus for all their programs and helping out around the place. After a little while of doing that, it became such a good partnership. They were like, Hey, do you guys want to meet here for church on Sundays? And so we don't, you know, and, and I, you know, don't want to flaunt it too much, but like we don't pay a cent to, to meet there. Like it's just something that we yeah. do because we're both interested in the area. Um, and so we, we set about to just, you know, have awesome connections with them. And I guess if I was to kind of summarize what we're hoping to do in Blacktown is, and again, I'm trying to avoid um, churchy language, but there's that awesome verse in the Bible that um, that it says that Simon and Peter, who are unschooled, ordinary people, and and if you look at the original language there, it literally says that they were pretty much um, uh, unschooled idiots. Like that's really the translation of what they were. But it said that they had, had been with Jesus. Um, and the most impressive thing for me about that, and particularly in a place like Blacktown, is that there's, there's really a sentiment or kind of like an underlying um, assumption that, that everyone's no good, that you can't really do anything with yourself. What good could Blacktown be? Um, yet we've seen that to be the complete opposite. And when you speak potentially mm. to people and the hope um, that we think comes from Jesus and, and all that wonderful stuff that, that like, there's so much purpose in that. Um, and mm. so like an area like Blacktown that is already the... Um, you know, I think it's um, the lot, you know, second only to the Gold Coast in terms of the biggest um, LGA in Australia um, hmm. by um, population. So it's got almost half a million people in the Blacktown Council alone. Um, and an area that's just been kind of so riddled with social and economic problems. You just go, man, what would it look like if people caught something like that? That they weren't unschooled hmm. idiots, but actually they had an enormous amount of potential and. And obviously we're coming from a faith background, but that, that, that faith can actually enhance that. And, and some of the crazy things that we're starting to see now um, is that Blacktown's starting to find its way on the map, not just because we're a hotspot at the moment. I hope for much better reasons too. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're knocking down the council in Blacktown. They're putting one of the first private um, uh, hospitals in Blacktown. That's, you've probably heard of a guy called Charlie Teo. Charlie Teo is is very contentious figure in Australia but he's also considered probably Australia's leading brain surgeon. And through a strange connection of events, he actually went to university with my dad and, and wow. he and I have hit it off since he set up this, um, 
this uh, hotel, uh, this uh, big apartment, this hospital in Blacktown. Like we've had lunch twice, mm. and, and and you know, of course, I know he's doing it from an economic perspective too. But part of his, you know, vision in setting this up and some of the infrastructure around it is he wants to put Blacktown on the map for all the right reasons. Um, mm. So even things like you know this new hospital coming in, Sheraton's about to set up their their four points. Um, hotel in Blacktown, like weird stuff like that, which 10 years ago, people would be like, why the heck would you do that? Like, yeah, that makes no economic sense, but it's, it's a city that is, is, you know, um, hungering for renewal and rejuvenation. And you just wonder what Blacktown could be like with all those kind of things coming to town. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think, you know, you've nailed it like hungry for renewal, but it's like in so many elements, you know, spiritual or economic or population or whatever. Um, you know, I think that's really awesome. And I'm so glad that you guys are planted um, in the central of it. Mate, the biggest question that I've got for you as we come to the end, and I don't know if you can even share this because it just might be such a state secret, um, but what is the biggest secret of the Blacktown area that we, people from not this side of Windsor Road, don't know about? <laughs> Mate, it's probably two, and, and one's... One's probably really obvious and, and it's got everything to do with charcoal chicken would be Eljana. <laughs> um, yes. Eljana is just a, an establishment. I know it's got its home in Granville too, but you know, if yeah, you just walk through the city of Blacktown and all you can smell is Lebanese chicken. Um, but the second that one... garlic is, sauce. Yeah, I know. It's dangerous. Beautiful. It, it'll be coming out your pores before you know it. Yeah. <laughs> but the second and and jess and i love this place like we go there as often as we can because so another thing that we could have um dived into today is i'm very um proud about my irish heritage love just everything about um you know uh the irish culture but celtic spirituality a whole bunch of stuff but there's a there's an awesome pub um that's been there since like 1870 or something like that called the cricketers arms up the back near where um, tumbling waters is which was wet and wild um, and it's in the middle of nowhere it's near the drive-in you never just stumble upon it but it feels like you've gone back to the motherland like it's it's one of the the few places in this part of sydney that pours pints rather than schooners and you sit yeah, out the back there um, and yeah like we take you know at least pre-covid we used to take our kids all the time because there's a little playground out the back so that is definitely one of the gems of of blacktown the cricketer's arms. Well, there you go. That's that's something to uh, tell the people. And hopefully, it doesn't get too popular because you know you don't want to be like waiting out the front and stuff. But that that is awesome. Uh, and hey, pints rather than schooners. That's that's talking my language. Yeah, and, and well. no no tab or anything like that. It's pretty rare you get like a good old fashioned pub. You know. Yeah, that's so good. Just good food, good beers, and then, and then awesome community and people Absolutely. around you. Ah, so much better than that. Love it. That's perfect. Well, Charlie, I've really enjoyed this chat and thank you so much. You know, as I said, it was one of the, you're one of the people I thought uh, I'd love to get on because I know your story and it's just so good to hear it again um, from my half. So um, I hope you enjoyed the opportunity to sort of reflect on that um, and go through that. But mate, thank you so much for coming on the High People podcast. It's, it's been really fun. Mate, it's been an absolute joy, mate. And I, I wish you all the best as it, as it goes forward. 